hiding. You're safe here with me. So begins the song that we're featuring this week, a song that, that Paris is going to be singing for us a bit later, a song that, uh, I'm guessing, unless you're a fan of modern Christian, modern Christian music, uh, you may never have heard before. And if you've not heard it before, I certainly understand, because chances are I would not have heard it either were it not for a ministry at the last church that we served, First United Methodist Church of Sherman. I used to have a terribly unfair bias against modern worship music or contemporary Christian music. You can call it that as well. I was not at all familiar with contemporary Christian music because I had never really listened to contemporary Christian music. I was raised in a very traditional church. I grew up in small country Roman Catholic parishes. Uh, there was only an organ and a small choir in the churches I grew up in. Later, when I was exploring other Christian traditions in my 20s, um, they were also traditional worship settings, mostly Episcopalian and Eastern Orthodox. There were definitely no drum sets or bass guitars in those churches. And when my wife Whitney and I joined the United Methodist Church, our first congregation had a pretty traditional worship service, as did the next two churches that we served. There were pianos in those three churches, and so we got a little adventurous from time to time but the organ and the choir were the predominant players. So until pretty recently, uh, I only had ever really heard traditional hymns in worship, and the contemporary songs that I had heard seemed, uh, let's just say, less theologically sophisticated than the music I was used to. I had this, uh, what I now know was very unfair, assumption that contemporary Christian music was you know, kind of happy-clappy and repetitive and, and simple, but not in a good way. So to explain my uh, bias on this with a metaphor, I am a terrible coffee snob. I don't know if anybody else here is a coffee snob. To put this in coffee terms, I used to think that uh, traditional hymns were the refined, carefully chosen, single-origin, fair-trade, organic, fresh-roasted, delivered right to your door, coffee beans of the church music world. <laughs> you know, the good stuff. Amazing Grace. We heard that this morning for our introit. Great is thy faithfulness. How great thou art. That kind of music. While so-called uh, contemporary music was like that giant tub of uh, pre-ground generic coffee that's tucked in the church's cabinet by the percolating uh, coffee pot, you know, used to make brown-colored water of questionable strength. You get where I'm going with this. It's fine if it's all you've got, uh, but you'd never choose it on purpose. <laughs> that used to be my very uh, unfair view of contemporary worship music. And I won't give you examples of the titles that I'm thinking of, just in case some of y'all love the titles that I'm thinking of. But my point is that I was totally wrong on this. When we started our modern worship service at First Sherman, uh, I learned that there's plenty of incredible modern worship music. Our modern worship leader in Sherman, Mason Morrison, uh, who, not coincidentally, now co-leads our modern worship service here at Christ United with Paris, uh, introduced me to such a wonderful variety of modern worship songs that I've got a whole playlist full of them that I listen to frequently these days. It's my Jesus music playlist, and there are, actually are not that many traditional hymns on that playlist. And one of those songs uh, is our focus for today. So this is week two of our four-week series, Top of the Charts, exploring the messages in our music. Last week we talked about my favorite band, U2, and I just have to say something else about U2 while I'm here. Uh, this morning, Bono and The Edge did a 
uh, impromptu concert at a subway station in Kiev. <laughs> They're in Kiev, one of those shelters, doing a, a concert this morning, which I think is cool. But this is not about you two. I could do a second week on you two, but I won't. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're talking about Johnny Cash and Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran. And our general premise in this series is that we can find God in secular music. But today, I want to introduce you to a, a contemporary Christian artist and a song in particular that I think is especially fitting for Mother's Day. Now, I know that in the bulletin it says I'm preaching on Psalm 98 this morning. Uh, that's the text that I chose a long time ago when I was planning for this series. Uh, but, and this is a true story, when I reread Psalm 98 this week, I could not for the life of me think of why I had chosen that psalm for this particular song, for this particular week. Um, I honestly think it may have been a, a typo in my, in my worship planning spreadsheet. It's a beautiful text, but it has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today. So instead, I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 23, which, as I also learned this week, is the recommended lectionary psalm every year on the fourth Sunday of the Easter season. You know that, every year. It's recommended for this particular week. And there are really not that many scriptures that are recommended to be read every year. So uh, anyway, this is certainly one worth reading every year. As you know, Psalm 23, listen friends, to the word of, for the word of God as it's proclaimed by God's servant, the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in, path, in right paths. <laughs> I almost said King James Version there. Uh, he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Come out of hiding. You're safe here with me. It's, uh, it's such a, a powerful opening line of what truly is a powerful song. Stephanie Gretzinger's debut album came out in 2014. It's called The Undoing. Uh, and when it was released, it actually had respectable success on the pop charts. It hit number 20 on the Billboard 200 chart for pop albums. But it was even more popular, of course, in Christian music circles, reaching number two on Billboard's top Christian albums here in the US and going to number one in the UK. And there's a song on the album called out of hiding, which I first heard at our modern worship service in Sherman. I can't remember what the sermon was or even what the sermon series was at the time, but Mason chose this song and it, it just really resonated with me. It's another one of those songs that I belt out in my car when I'm listening to my Jesus music playlist. And when, when Paris sings it here shortly, I think you'll hear uh, why. It's a song about letting go of guilt and shame which, theologically speaking, we are able to do because of God's unconditional love and grace. Our God is a God of mercy and forgiveness and welcome and inclusion, so why on earth would we hide from a God who loves us unconditionally? Gretzinger said she wrote it from the perspective of God as our loving 
father. She comes from a, a theological tradition that speaks almost exclusively in terms of, of father God. So I, uh, as a Methodist, would expand that to say God as our loving parent, which makes this song a great song to focus on on Mother's Day, if you ask me. Now, every household, uh, every family is different, of course. Not every family is healthy. We know that. We know that some parents struggle more than others, to be sure. But at its best, a mother's love, a parent's love for their children is often, I think, as close as we get to unconditional love for another human being on this side of the grave. Which is to say, uh, I think that parental imagery for God is so powerful because it's the one we can most readily identify with. It's so powerful, in fact, uh, that it's probably the most common image we use in the Christian tradition. Of course, another powerful image for God is the, the one from our scripture text today, not Psalm 98, <laughs> which I had originally planned for some unknown reason, but Psalm 23, which, in the words of my new interpreter's study Bible, uh, quote, certainty of God's protection and providence and exceptional intimacy with God combine in an individual's prayer of trust. So it's a, it's a prayer of trust in God. That's the type of psalm that it is. But it's got these themes of protection and providence and intimacy uh, and, and trust. That's the message of what surely is the most well-known of the 150 psalms in our Bible. In fact, Psalm 23 uh, is one of the most memorable, most famous passages of Scripture in either the Old or New Testaments. It's one of my personal favorites, and there are a few unique details in this Scripture that are easy to overlook uh, despite its familiarity. First of all, it's the only place in Scripture uh, where a biblical author calls God my shepherd. Now, there are lots of places in Scripture where uh, the Bible talks about God's people metaphorically as sheep, but this is the only place in Scripture where an author takes the liberty to talk about God as my shepherd. That's an uncommon level of familiarity, certainly in the Old Testament. The second thing about this psalm is that it has what, what scholars call an inclusio, which is, um, it's a, it means that a common theme is repeated at the beginning and the end of a passage. In this case, the word Lord appears at the beginning and at the very end of the psalm, which gives the literary effect of uh, the psalmist being surrounded by God in a, in a comforting as opposed to a, an intimidating or threatening way. And then at the very center of the psalm, by which I mean precisely 26 words in Hebrew from both the first word and the last word of the text, there's this phrase, for you are with me. In Hebrew poetry, the idea at the center of a poem is the one that the reader is drawn to. It's the one that the author intends to emphasize so that, in terms of literary analysis, this Lord who surrounds us is also our companion through it all. And then the last detail that I want to mention is a detail in the final verse. Uh, in English, we read, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, follow me all the days of my life. But the Hebrew word there uh, that we translate as follow is actually much more intense than the English word. It has a meaning closer to pursue, <laughs> which is way cooler, I think. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. 
And so with all that in mind, I want to read it again, but this time uh, I'd love for you to join me so that we can all pray Psalm 23 in unison. And this time we're going to pray it in the much more familiar King James Version. So I do invite you to join me now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm sure you know that the 23rd Psalm is a, is a common reading at funerals, and understandably so. Those evocative references to walking with God through the valley of the shadow of death and dwelling in the house of the Lord forever are reminders of the eternal promise of our faith that what comes next is good and that we need not fear it. But the psalm was not really intended for funerals. This is really a poem about living life in this close, loving relationship with the God who loves us unconditionally because while the community of faith is where we anchor our spiritual lives and is vitally important, still at its heart, our relationship with God is intensely personal. Now, you may have noticed as we prayed together that the author uh, talks about a shepherd and only one sheep. Shepherds don't usually have just one sheep, of course. The Lord surrounds the psalmist, opening and closing the prayer, the poem, and at, and at its center is this promise, for you are with me. There are only two characters in Psalm 23 the power of this beloved psalm and surely the reason that it's the recommended psalm for this particular week every fourth Sunday of the Easter season the season of resurrection is that it's incredibly poetic and memorable six verses promise that God loves each of us individually unconditionally and eternally both in this life and in the life to come and that's the spirit I think of Stephanie Gretzinger's song out of hiding a modern worship song that proclaims uh, one of the most beautiful and essential truths of Christian theology. There's a reason, after all, that it went to the top of the charts in Christian music. She sings about how we don't have to hide from God because God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows our sins and our shortcomings, and still God loves us unconditionally and is always ready to welcome us home, like the love of a mother, the love of a parent at its healthiest and at its best. And she she sings from the perspective of God, and, and the song invites us to come running to me. And then there's this, this beautiful line. It's a line that, that captures what I think is some pretty sophisticated, not just theology, but psychology. She sings, and as you run What hindered love will only become part of the story. (laughs) I love that line. 
what hindered love will only become part of the story, which I understand to mean those things that keep us from returning to God, those sins of omission and sins of commission that we think God would never forgive us for, that part of us that we always felt was unworthy or that filled us with regret or guilt or worse, shame, that thing that we would never tell another soul about, whatever it is that keeps us from accepting the love and mercy and forgiveness of God, that's only part of the story of our lives. God's offer is always unconditional. That's what grace is all about. We are the ones that hinder that love by not saying yes to God, by not turning back to God when we need to, by not realizing just how much God loves us. But our faith teaches us that the shepherd does not, will not, would not abandon the sheep. So in the words of of this beautiful song that you very well may not have heard before this morning, God invites us again. Come out of hiding wherever you are. You're safe here with me. Thanks be to God.